Welcome to the Expand with Nicole podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hope, a health and breathwork coach who is passionate about all things wellness. My goal is to break down big information into little bites, providing you with facts and actionable steps that you can incorporate into your life right away. If you're ready to learn along with me, let's get started. Welcome back, all my friends and listeners. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Lane, and she is a therapist. And we're going to be talking about like the juicy side of therapy today and some of the secrets and the questions that you might want to know if you are on the other side, not the therapist, the patient. So Lane is going to introduce herself and tell us a little bit, maybe just tell us like what led you to becoming a therapist? And maybe if you have like a little niche, Lane, I also know you own your own. Um, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, which is Modern Wellness, New Jersey. Yes. In Seagirt, New Jersey. Um, so New Jersey people, if you're looking for a therapist, Lane might just be your girl, right? <laughs> we'll see after, after today, if you like me. <laughs> All right. So Lane, what, tell us about yourself a little bit and how you became a therapist and what led you to opening the practice and whatever else you want to tell us. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. I was like begging Nicole, like, when are you going to have me on? Um, But I am a licensed professional counselor and I have a practice in Seeger. We have all women therapists working there, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, and they range in age and specialty. Um, so there's really something for everybody there. But I, I originally got my undergraduate degree in journalism because I just really liked to hear people's stories. And I was like, oh, well, that would be a good match, right? I, can, I like to write, like to hear people's stories. And after college, I worked in public relations and it was like the devil wears Prada and I hated every minute of it. And I then got a job at um, a state-run school for kids that had been kind of kicked out of public school, and I loved it. It was chaotic and messy, and but the kids were just so awesome, and I felt like I could really make a difference, and that's when I decided to go back to grad school and get my master's in counseling, and I've worked in the nonprofit realm, and I've worked in in-home counseling, and then... I really value my time and that's when I was like, I need to do my own thing because I want to make my own hours. I don't want to have to request a sick day from anybody. I want to just make this my own and I don't think I could ever go back to working in a corporate environment or a micromanaged environment. So I've had my own practice for about five years now and like having kids just makes sense because I can take off to go to every freaking school event that they want you to attend (laughs) it's in the middle of the day so now I can do all the things that I need to do and still like work in my field of passion because I truly love my job I don't ever dread going to it Uh, I've learned so much about myself and just humanity doing my job and I realize that every single person has a story every person and no story is the same. So before becoming a therapist, did you were, did you go to therapy yourself or? Yes. I've, I've definitely been in therapy a couple times, like when things in my life were changing. Um, and 
I can say not all therapists are created equal. Like you have to really vibe with the person that you go and see. You have to have some commonalities. Um, it's like dating. You have to really match with your therapist. And that's a really important piece of it for people. If you don't like your therapist, when you go a few times, give it a couple times, change, find somebody else. So important. I was going to ask that, not this early, but since we're on it, like how long should you give? Because obviously it takes a while to get to know yeah. somebody for them to get to know you. But I've definitely switched therapists a couple of times. And um, what do you, is the, like, what do you think? Like, how long does it take for you really to be like, this is not right? I think there's some basics generally, you know, if you do fit better with a female or if men really prefer a male, like those are some basics that you should just know off the bat if what you're, what you're seeking, or if you really want somebody that might be a little younger, or you want somebody that has a religious aspect because there are like some Christian counselors and things like that. So those are questions you want to ask your therapist when you go in right away. And then there is kind of this like three month mark where we see patients really sort of making progress at three months, like something just happens, whether it's they feel comfortable and now they've gotten that like secret out that they hold in. It's like that, that three month mark. So if you feel like you're really kind of stuck time to maybe shop around. All right. That's a good rule of thumb three months, because like if you're yeah. not making progress at three months, then something maybe isn't right. Like, right. Yeah. Like maybe you just don't feel comfortable sharing what you need to share and then you're not going to make any growth. So we probably have a mix of people who go to therapy, maybe who would never have gone to therapy. So maybe we should just start by discussing why you think therapy is so important for mm. all of us, which I believe it is. Um, and like you said, maybe not all the time, like maybe you don't have a weekly or a monthly standing appointment, but like we all need it at some point in our lives. What yeah. You maintenance. You, you definitely need maintenance if it's not weekly. Um, I think, listen, because it's my business and I, you know, would love for everybody to go to therapy, but having that neutral perspective and somebody that's not going to say, yeah, that was the, that was the right choice or somebody that's going to criticize every choice you make is so important to just have somebody that's neutral and objective and really we're mirrors. Therapists are supposed to be mirrors. We're supposed to reflect back to you, like what you're showing us and your friends and your family just don't do that because they're not neutral and they're not objective. So to you, you have to go into therapy open to hearing some things that you might not want to hear or that you haven't heard before. Don't come into therapy for a yes man because a good therapist is not going to do that for you. So I, I have heard from a lot of my friends who go to therapy, like, I just want my therapist to tell me the answer, mm -hmm. like, should I do this or should I not do this? So what is that all about? Like, should we be expecting an answer or guidance? Do some therapists do that and some don't? Or is there like, is that not what you're supposed to do? Yeah, I think, you know, we went, I went to school at least with the don't give advice. You know, you really are there to listen and reflect. I am a mixture of both. Like I may say to you, well, if you make that decision, how does that align with some of your past patterns? Where is that decision going to bring you? Because 
at the end of the day, I'm human. And like, I do think some of your decisions are bad. (laughs) I have heard this before. Like you've been in here a year ago and you said the exact same thing and you're getting back with that same guy. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's a good choice. I'm not going to say that because it's not my life. And I want you to have the skill of really kind of thinking that over and deciding what is best for you and like breaking some of those patterns. And the only way to do that is to really think about it and make different choices. So you're really helping them recognize their own patterns, like leading them in that direction so that they can then hopefully one day make the right decision without yeah. tell them what to do. Yeah, because that's the skill, right? Then they, then you can kind of like spread your wings and fly and you can come back to therapy every three months or whatever because you're not making those same choices over and over again. Okay. And I'm sure people's friends and families are going like, don't get back together with him or like, don't go on a date with that guy. And you, you have to wait till you see it yourself. Totally. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So what do you think, why do you think people are nervous to come into therapy? Like, what do you think are some of like the, those things that are holding people back? I think something that holds us all back is like the shadow part. I don't know if you have talked about this at all on some of your other podcasts, but it's like, we all have different parts of ourselves, right? And there's parts of ourselves that we are so shameful of. We all have them. And we try to hide them. We try to keep them away. And therapy is going to uncover that stuff. It's, you know, there's no going around it. You can only go through it to get to the other side. So people come in fearful that like those floodgates are going to open and those secrets are going to come out. And I think people think the therapist will judge them and will have an opinion about it. And that's scary stuff that you keep locked away for a long time or things that you know in your gut you need to hear that are really scary to hear okay yeah definitely judgment I think for sure do you think people are nervous about confidentiality for sure for sure especially if in within their sort of family of origin there's a lack of boundaries people don't, they can't trust their family members or they can't trust their friends or there's some sort of past trauma where something was shared that wasn't supposed to be shared. Again, we're human, but confidentiality is of utmost importance. We take that very, very serious because without that foundation, what do we really have in therapy? So we can rest assured that our secrets are safe with you. Yes, absolutely. What about like between therapists in one practice? Do Are you allowed to speak to other therapists within the practice or still no? Yeah, so we do have supervisors and we have mentors and colleagues, but we will not disclose any identifying information. So it might be like, I have a client who's struggling with, you know, an eating disorder and this is what I'm seeing and this is my challenge and how would you help this client if they were your client? So we're really just discussing in terms of how can we help our clients better? We're not sitting around the water cooler being like, listen to this. (laughs) Yeah, that's like, not what's what Nicole, happening. This is what Nicole did last weekend. 
Yes. That's been a shame yes. blanket. <laughs> yes, like we don't want to do that. And and we've heard it all. Like it's it, nothing really shocks me anymore. I mean, obviously you're not gonna tell us your most shocking story, but do you do you really feel like you've heard it all like at this point? I do. I do. I, I it's all interesting. Like I said, nobody's story is the same, but I've I've heard some of the most horrific things and I've heard some of the most ridiculous things and all of it in between and I think I have a really good poker face and at this point it's not really a poker face I'm just kind of like okay like well what do we do with this you know how do I help you navigate this yeah and then like for you because you're obviously taking in so much of other people's energy like how do you get that out of your own head like you're taking it what if I tell you some crazy shit and then you're like now I have this like what do I do with it you know? yeah like self-care I am really good at leaving my shit at the office I know my role and I know that if I'm coming home and I'm like perseverating about something that somebody told me that doesn't make me a better therapist tomorrow that doesn't make me a better therapist for that person today I know where that boundary is and I take care of myself. I have alone time. I have things that I do that ultimately like help me process the madness of life. And I think probably that's why some therapists go to therapy also. Right. I mean, because yes. you're going to a co- another person who's can, it's going to be confidential. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It makes sense. So <laughs> you mentioned like that, obviously you're human. We know that. Um, when you start getting like close with your clients, like there's, uh, you know, people who I'm sure are with you for years. Yeah. How do you keep that boundary or like, is there a gray area where, I don't know, like you, they share different things or like what happens at this point? Yeah, there's definitely a gray area because you're, you're really sharing this person's like deepest, darkest moments sometimes, and you're holding that space for them and you, you get to know their life. And I I know self-disclosure is one of those things that we we're supposed to use very sparingly and only when it really will benefit the client. And that's when we share about our, our life. And there are some clients who know a lot about my life because I feel that it's beneficial for them to understand Um, like I'm a mom. I, my kids are not perfect. I'm not a perfect mom. I have a lot of clients who are also moms and they struggle with their kids. And I want them to know that I also can understand, like I will teach you the tools, but it's not always easy to implement them. It's, I still am challenged in, in many ways in implementing some of the things I'm teaching myself with my clients. So I feel like there's that level of connection that needs to happen where I'm not just a blank slate and you're sharing everything with me. So it's a case by case basis. I have had some clients that will ask me too much and I have to draw the line. Um, I did have a client that was kind of like stalking me a little bit. So I had to refer that person out and that was early on in my career. Um, it was definitely scary. 
So you have to be careful. You have to really know who you can share with and how it's going to impact them. It's like a well thought out decision with how much you're sharing and with who. Do you have clients who flirt with you? Mm. I think I have some (laughs) men that will pick a therapist based on their picture. Mm. I think in general, and, and it's, it's interesting because women, I think feel more comfortable going to a female therapist. And I think men feel more comfortable going to a female therapist the majority of the time. Cause that's and like, that's like mom. Yeah. It's like <laughs> something to unpack. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I've had, I've definitely had clients that, um, I, I had a dad of a client once like asked me on a date and I was like, mm, that's, that's just not, this is not what we're here for. That's a conflict of interest. <laughs> yes. I think so too. Like, I don't know. I mean, like I have male doctors, but I don't think I would go. I mean, I never have gone to a male therapist. Maybe mm-hmm. if it was for like a specific modality, but I don't think yep. they could ever understand like the female experience. So right. Right. Yeah. I I agree. But listen, we it's possible to be attracted to a client. Like we have to check ourselves. Like there are some good looking people that walk into my office and I have to be like, okay, like Lane, take a breath here. You know, remember where you're at, but it happens. All your clients who are listening are like, is that me? Is that me? (laughs) It's not you. (laughs) Um, What are like some other truths about therapy that you wish people understood. Oh, some therapy tea. Well, let's spill it. Um, we, I I will never take credit for your progress. I will never think it's me. I will think it's me when you're not doing well. I'll be like, what can I do better? What am I fucking up here? And when you are doing well, I'm like, Oh, that's all you, like you did all the work. I, it's hard for therapists. I think to take full credit interesting Mm -hmm. but you are the vehicle for the change so yeah it's just it's kind of one of those things and and we know a lot of the times when we're not doing well and it's kind of sometimes hard to see when we are doing well because we don't hear that feedback right we we see clients that maybe are declining but we don't always see the clients that are doing well because like they don't come back sometimes and we're left wondering do they like us? Like what happened? Did I, did I upset them? Did I do something wrong? Did they find someone better? So we don't always hear the success stories. Interesting. So when your client goes to you and it's really could be just because they don't need you anymore, do you want them to send you a message <laughs> letting them know that yeah, they're we doing great? Yeah, I would love that, but it's like, it's not about me, right? Check my ego. It's not about me. And it's funny because clients that either, you know, have gone for a period of time and then have something stressful happen in their life and they'll reach out and they'll be like, I know you haven't heard from me in a while, but is it okay if I come back? Like, it is always okay for you to come back. I am not like, nope, uh, you ghosted me, so you're not allowed back. Never, ever, ever. Like, I think people worry about that too. Like you're, oh, my door's always open. 
I think that's really, I'm actually glad that you touched on that because I've definitely felt that way before. Like I'll go through periods of time where I'm seeing my therapist frequently and then I'll just like not, I'll cancel one appointment and I'll just not go back for a while. And then I just yes. feel like, oh God, can I even go back? Now I have to explain myself why I didn't go back. I have definitely have felt like that. So it's yeah, so there's no judgment on coming back. No, just know, like, we want you to come back. We want to hear, even if it's years later, like, we want to see you and hear how you're doing. And there's absolutely no hard feelings for you not coming in. Yeah, that's, I'm glad that you, I'm glad you said that, because I've definitely felt that way before. Um, all right, so what else? So you're not, you don't take credit for their success, even though we know you should take some, but what other thing? what are some other True. Oh, a really good one that I, I'm a very visual person. I would love to see what some of these people's kids, like significant others look like. Like I sometimes want to be like, well, show me a picture, like show me a picture from your wedding. I would never, ever ask. That's so inappropriate. So when people do get married or go on their honeymoon and they're like, let me show you a picture. And I'm like, yes. like, I want to see that. Because we have this idea in our mind, you know, we kind of, it's like when you read a book and you kind of imagine what the characters look like, we, we do that with our patients. Mm -hmm. I would have never thought to do that in therapy. Yes. But that's good advice, but it makes sense because like you said, I mean, you are, you're in it with them. So yeah. I want to see who's on the other end of all of it. Yeah. I want to know. What if I want to know. Yeah. What if, um, like, so on my end, if I'm the client and I just feel like something isn't right, like the way that things are going, like, how do I approach that with you? Like, can you be honest as a client with a therapist? I guess, how honest can you be or how honest do you want us to be? Extremely honest because it, it Therapy is supposed to be sort of symbolic of how you can live your life outside of that office. And if you have, if you struggle to advocate for yourself or struggle to assert yourself or to speak your truth in some way, the best place to practice that is in this like safety net of therapy. So if you're feeling judged by me or you're feeling like I'm not hearing you not understanding you, not helping you, the best way to kind of advocate for yourself is to say it in that, in that room, in that space and like practice the skill of that. So we want to know, and we can feel, I go a lot off of my intuition. So I can feel when stuff is, is off or when somebody's kind of holding back and I will, I'll say that I'll say like, it seems like you're kind of holding back. Is it because you feel uncomfortable? Like what's going on? Let's, this is a space to talk about that. That makes sense to like practicing the skill. I think people maybe would feel like they're overstepping as mm -hmm. the client to address something like that with the therapist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually... I like if there is some, not conflict, but if you get angry with me, I can almost see your conflict resolution style 
in the moment, which helps me understand how you're doing it with your friends, your family, your significant other. So that's why couples therapy is like really impactful because I can actually see how you're responding to another person in the moment, instead of you just coming in and being like, I got into a fight with my wife. This is what happened because everybody's going to tell their side. Mm -hmm. But when I can see it in the moment, and even if it's with me, even if you're calling me out, then I I get to really, we can work on that. It's called like grist for the mill. We can really work on the here and now. Do you, when you have couples come in, do you see them, you see them together and then also separately? Mm-hmm. Yep. It depends really if I see, I see a need to have them each tell their own side. Sometimes they are very aligned in why they're coming in and what their goals are. Sometimes they are on opposite ends of the earth and one person is like, both feet out the door. The other person is kind of like, I don't know why we're here. I think everything's perfect. And then in that case, it's like, okay, I kind of need to talk to you separately because you're not on the same page. Yeah. Interesting. I think um, couples therapy is probably good for all couples. Like we're two humans trying to, who are different, trying to live and whether your parents are not like coexist and fall out. I mean, it's like everyone, all couples go through that up and down, you know? Yeah. And all of your childhood stuff is coming out in your relationship. All of it. Yeah. I recently, so you mentioned the shadow work before, but I recently did some hypnotherapy and stuff like that with like for specifically for shadow work. And it is, it is like really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, that sounds amazing. I haven't done that, but it's, everything in relationships, like the reflection and the mirroring and, and all the stuff that you keep hidden is like on full display and you just don't really notice it when it's happening. And then when you're a parent, you're trying not to parent the way that you did not like to be parented. And then, you know, you know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's the tool. I was raised with a hammer and now I'm trying to use a screwdriver. And like, I've never used this before. I don't know how it works. I don't know how to do it. And you have to relearn everything and you have to unlearn how to use the hammer. Yeah. It's hard. Adulting. It's, it's, it's really hard and it just doesn't stop. It's just an ongoing, it's an ongoing learning experience. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, we've been talking like pretty light about therapy, but obviously there's cases where people are coming in in really, uh, you know, scary, very difficult, challenging situations. And what do you feel like, what could you say to those people about coming into therapy? Mm -hmm. Because I know like whether someone's suicidal or they're, you know, an addict or wherever they are at rock bottom. Um, Sometimes they're just, they don't feel ready for therapy, but how can you encourage them or what, what do you think about this? Well, I think therapy is, you're not going to always leave therapy and feel better. Oftentimes you, you may leave and feel worse than when you came in. And I, I don't want anyone to take that as like, all right, I'm not walking through those doors, but 
trauma is truly the root of everything and trauma meaning like anything impactful in your life that changed the way that you looked at the world, the way you looked at yourself, um, the way that you looked at others around you. And we all form really dysfunctional coping mechanisms after something like that happens. So I truly believe that any person is capable of change. And once you're able to change the lens that you're looking through and learn more skills, it's like anything else. You can learn more skills. It is possible to look through a different lens and to have hope and have an exciting future. And I, I, it's work. You have to be committed to it. So it's not easy. It's definitely not easy, but it is absolutely possible to ch- completely change course, completely change your life. I think that seems so daunting for some people. Yeah. Um, and it's easier just to stay in the comfort zone, even if that comfort zone is traumatic, because change is hard. And like your therapist can only take you so far. You have to do, yes, more, you know, 90% on your own. So yeah, you absolutely do. And a, and a lot of people don't even realize things that have been traumatic in their lives. You know, I, we say that three month mark. I've had people after three months disclose like, oh, by the way, you know, my house burned down when I was five. And I'm like, when we went through the intake, I asked you if anything traumatic happened. Like, They're like, yeah, but, you know, it didn't seem like it was okay. Like, we all lived. And I'm like, okay, we have to unpack this. So I think people are so sometimes numb to the things that have impacted them so much. And then when we talk about parenting, everybody loves to say, you know, my my parents would hit me or this would happen. But, like, they were really good parents. And here's the thing about therapy and life. Two truths, always. You have to get comfortable with having two truths. Your parents were doing the best they could with what they had, and they also traumatized you. Like, those two things live in the same space. And if you can get comfortable with accepting that there's always going to be two truths, then you can certainly make a lot of progress in your life. Can you be a parent without traumatizing your children? <laughs> no. <laughs> like you can't, right? Like you can't. Can no, you? you're gonna you're gonna fuck up your kid no matter what. It's just a it's just a matter of how much. Like yeah. and and the repair, the repair piece is super important. I lose my cool with my kids, and afterwards I'm like, I lost my cool. I shouldn't have yelled. It wasn't right. I got angry and I'm sorry. Because what it's doing is you're, you're doing the apology, you're modeling an apology, and you're modeling accountability, and you're also letting them know that, like, they're not responsible for your emotions. So that repair piece is so important. That's really good advice. And they also do need to see that there is a range of emotions that we all have. And like, we're not just robot parents who don't get angry. I mean, like, I was arguing with my husband yeah. yesterday, and my daughter's like, in the backseat going okay, everyone take a deep breath. And I'm like, Cause that's what I say. and she's like, can we just like wrap up this arguing? And I'm like, okay, but done with this. yeah, she's like over it. But at the same time, I'm like, 
Avery were disagreeing. Like we're not, we weren't like screaming, but we were just disagreeing about something, you know? And I'm like, so she can see that we're disagreeing. Like, I, I mean, what do you think? This is actually just, I don't even know if it's, I mean, it's on topic, but yeah. Like arguing in front of your kids, like a lot of, you know, a lot of people, I literally just read this today. I had my students doing this. Um, they were doing like a map of their future. And one of the students put on there, I never want as an adult, like as herself, as an adult with kids, I never want my kids to see me arguing with my husband in front of them. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what's your opinion on that? Healthy conflict. Like we have to expose kids to the real world or else we're not building resilience or, and we're not building the skills to cope with the real world. So healthy conflicts is really important. And even if it, if it does become unhealthy and there's yelling and whatever, you come back and you say, we disagreed about something. I couldn't keep my cool. You know, daddy was yelling. Like, what do you think about that? How did that make you feel? What did you feel in that moment? And like, as long as there is a space to talk about stuff, you're good. Like that they are learning that there's a range of emotions. It's normal to feel all different kinds of emotions and it's, it's normal to disagree. And like, how do we do this in a healthy way? Yeah. Exposure, exposure to that is so important because people will come in and say like, well, my parents never argued. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean they didn't disagree. That means like they were just suppressing everything they were feeling. And now you as an adult have a hard time advocating for yourself or expressing yourself because you didn't see that. And that's what I was kind of talking about, like, or thinking about, I should say, when I said, can you, is there a way not to, you know, completely traumatize your kids in some way, but those parents, whoever they are, who didn't argue in front of their kids thought that was the best thing to do was for their kids not to see them arguing. But then what happens, like you said, is that they don't see conflict or healthy resolution. So that's yeah. also completely fucking them up. But you, you're you thinking it's the right yeah, thing to thinking, do. You know? You're thinking you're doing the right thing. And I think the rule of thumb is it's okay to expose your kids to all of the things that are in the real world, in the comfort of your home, in some to some degree, right? Because there's the safety net, like disappointment, failure, sadness, grief, like all of the things that as adults, they are absolutely going to encounter. You want to have them have some experience with it. So they have the roadmap for it. And they also can say like, oh, my mom like really sat with me and helped me through that. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Dr. Becky Kennedy. No. She's, um, oh God, she's so good. She's been on Glennon Doyle's podcast and she talks a lot about this, like this resilience, like how to raise resilient kids. And she, she gives this example of, all right, say you're walking through a park and like this park is life and your kids come up to a bench and the bench is, let's say, failure. And your kid goes to sit on it. And you go, you have a couple options. Some parents go, oh my God, get off that bench. That bench is really scary. Get off, get off, get off, right? Anytime they encounter that bench, they're going to be like, I want nothing to fucking do with this bench. Or you leave them alone on the bench and they have no roadmap. They're there by themselves on the bench. They don't know what to do. And again, that bench becomes very scary. Or 
you sit beside them and you say, this bench sucks, doesn't it? And what she says is, in the brain, there, there forms this connection of the next time they encounter that bench of failure, they go, oh, I can do this. Even if you're not there as a parent or a support person, they're like, I remember, I can do this. Like, I, I have this kind of safety net of support. I can do this. And that's how you build resilience is you expose your kids to things that they're going to encounter. And you do it in like a safe, supportive way. Yeah. Okay. The I love the repair thing that you talked about. This little anecdote is awesome too. Um, what What is this idea of reparenting, since we're on parenting, mm-hmm. in therapy? So I, I sort of know when someone, you know, after a couple of sessions is like, oh, they never got praise or they um, never had a safe space to really express their feelings. I sort of will meet that need in the therapy office is like encouragement. You know, even if it's a really small victory, if I know it's somebody that has never gotten praise or got praised very sparingly, I'll up the ante on that. Like, I'm going to be that for you. I'm going to meet that need for you so that you understand what that feels like and you understand how much you deserve it. And that is such an important piece. And then people reparenting themselves, like that's the goal, right? You talk to yourself as you would have wanted your parent to talk to you. So if you fail at something and you had a really critical parent, the goal is when you fail at something, you act as a really supportive person. It's like, okay, I, I can do this. I know I failed, but I can do better next time and I'm going to do better next time. So you become that voice that you wish you really had when you were a kid. Okay. That makes sense. I, I have heard it and I know you mentioned it. Um, but yeah, so you're coming in and, and being, filling that void a little bit. Yeah. And you, you know it when it's happening, you know, I have clients who like want to be people pleasers and like want to come in and they don't want to tell me bad news or don't want to tell me that they fucked up. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, the dad or the mom that was like, I can't believe you did that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to reframe that. Right. I'm going to reshape how that all goes. Are there any situations or topics that you like would intentionally intentionally avoid discussing or nothing like, no, yeah. uh, nothing is off the table. And is there any situation where you would have to go for outside help or disclose information? Yeah. So anytime there is um, disclosure of sexual abuse or any kind of abuse, um, I have to break confidentiality. Those are the reasons why, which I know you as a teacher probably have the same, you know, rule of thumb. Like that's just what we have to do. And that's never an easy, it's never an easy situation because let's face it. Like the system is not, is just not great. And support that. Yeah. It's not. So I, that's some of the toughest things that happen in the therapy office is like, I know I have to report this, but I know that one, the client's probably not going to come back and two, like they're not going to get the support from whatever reporting entity has to respond to it that they deserve or that they need, or that's really trauma informed. Yeah, I know. And it's like probably 
stopping some people from disclosing, which is also just like such a negative cyclical pattern of not getting help. So yeah, yeah, it it truly, truly is. And it's a a tough one. I wish the the whole system was different maybe one day, but that's a big change, but that's obviously needed. We know that. Um, Yeah. How can clients actively participate in this process to ensure that they are receiving basically all the support and information that they need? Like if someone's starting for the first time, like what advice would you give them to get the most out of this experience? Besides being truthful, like honest, we talked about that, but is there anything else? Yeah. Um, It's, it's a daily practice. You know, you're coming in once a week but it's a daily practice. And in order to really commit to helping yourself and being a better version of yourself, like you have to love yourself. You have to see yourself as a priority or else it's going to be like the once a week, you're going to come in, you're going to get out what you need to get out. And then you're going to go back to living in that sort of pattern that you're in. It's, it's a real commitment. Do therapists at any point like stay in touch with their client not in the actual like physical space of their appointment like reaching out like is it appropriate to reach out to your therapist I mean like you've seen tv shows where people are like texting and calling their therapist at two in the morning but yeah is that is that like fake (laughs) I mean what is the expectation there you know what? It's so funny because uh, some people have um, have my personal cell just because that's like the way that they got the referral. Like somebody gave them my personal cell and my friends and family will be like, is that like, okay. I'm like, people really don't abuse that privilege. They really don't. And and the people that will reach out is because they're in crisis. If necessary, you know, if it's necessary. And I will tell people like, on the weekends, you're probably not going to get a response back from me. If it's really an emergency, you have to call 911 or call, contact PESS, right? So, but I have absolutely no issue with somebody reaching out and being like, hey, I'm having a tough time. Like, do you have time tomorrow to talk to me? And of course, like this is, it can't just be like, not five o'clock, sorry. Like, you know, you're not going to hear from me. So I, and I get updates sometimes from past clients. Like I got into this college and I love that. Like, again, this is a a connection. I want to hear from you. And if you abuse the privilege, I'll have to set a boundary, but that's on me. You know, that's like, that's my work. That's my stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess everyone is different too. In that respect, some people are just never going to let that open those floodgates with their clients and that's to each his own. Right. Yeah. And I think because I came from the background of like, I did in-home therapy for a long time through the County and that's like another level. Like I'm in someone's house, like petting their dog, like they're cooking dinner. They're offering me like part of their dinner. That's a whole other world. So I think going into the private practice world, I was like, yeah, sure. Like text me if you want. I may not answer. Unless you're the stalker. (laughs) (laughs) Don't text me. (laughs) What are some like, um, are there any like new and exciting things that are coming up in therapy, like different modalities that you're using or just like, besides, yes. you know, like the talk therapy is the basic 
of course but of course there are other things happening besides talk therapy um i am doing ketamine assisted therapy so the everyone i know or a lot of people know that like psychedelics are really coming down the pike they have been studied for decades and have shown to be so incredibly impactful with mental health issues and you know severe depression and ongoing anxiety so i am super excited about psychedelics like coming into the mainstream therapy space because i think that i truly think it's the future of therapy um, I just think it has the ability to really go deep, get that shadow work going and really heal people Quickly. at the core. Yeah. 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 But again, like you've got to be ready to do the work. It's not easy stuff. Yeah. And that's, I'm sure not, not everyone's ready for that, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you said, this, these studies have been going on for so long. So although it seems like new it's not there it's not obviously it's not it's not new and the people that know know you know the people that have gone and done ayahuasca and like they know they've known forever and you know now that it's just hitting mainstream and like prince harry's talking about it everybody's like oh i want to try <laughs> right but it 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 works and and ketamine is not a psychedelic it's legal in new jersey which is why i was able to get certified in doing it and i'm i'm working with journey clinical which is the agency that provides the medication so you do a telehealth appointment with a psychiatrist they mail you the ketamine lozenge and then you bring it into my office and we do the session while you're under the influence so it's a disassociative it's not a psychedelic it's it has a short lifespan and it's about 60 minutes that you're kind of like in this inner outer space and it can have a real impact on your neuroplasticity so creating some of those different um pathways like pathways yeah so that you can really reframe and really change some of your patterns of thinking because when we do like years of thinking the same way and doing yes. the same things and having the same habits, it's very hard on your own to change those pathways because they are it's, deep. It's extremely hard. And a lot of those pathways are formulated during childhood. Right. At, like your ego is established at seven. I know. Like, I'm running out of time. My daughter's five. I'm like, I have two more years. <laughs> I have ran out of time. I have ran out of time. I, um, oh, goodness. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So seven years old. And if you listen to Dr. Becky Kennedy, she also says that. 50% of your sort of psyche is established in the womb, which is insane. <laughs> and like, I was just like, oh God, my kids are doomed. Because <laughs> I really did not like being pregnant. But um, I yeah. mean, I did all the, I luckily, I have a little bit of, um, you know, at the time I was meditating and trying to Good. stay calm but also you don't want people who don't do any of that to feel like complete failures like who that's so much stress 
it's too much stress. Like we have to do the best we can with what we've got. And like, there are so many external factors in this world now that are so far out of our control and it's so hard to raise children. It's totally, we got to just do the best that you can and cross your fingers and go for the best. And go to therapy. And go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. Bring your kids to therapy. Like I say all the time when, you know, when I make a parenting mistake, I'm like, yeah, my kids will be talking about that in therapy in about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. So is there anything else that we did not talk about that you feel like is important to put out there? Um, uh, you know, I think when you take real accountability for the work that you're doing this and this comes in with like insurance, I, I just stopped taking insurance as of January, which was a really hard decision for me. I'm like a bleeding heart liberal. I would give everybody free therapy if I didn't have bills to pay. But, um, what we do see is that when you're coming in and you've got your $10 copay, you're kind of checking a box for therapy when you are paying out of pocket for it, just like you would for the gym or the personal trainer or like the food that you're eating, you're taking real ownership over it. So I do tend to feel that people that are paying for their therapy really put more work in. Mm. And that's probably uh, something good to discuss because a lot of therapists do not take insurance and- yeah. Is that why, or do you think it's just because of the system? The insurance companies give us a very hard time and oftentimes request records. And I don't love that because I don't like the idea of some, you know, person without a clinical degree or sitting behind a desk, reading a file and deciding whether or not my client is, you know, needs therapy. I think that's kind of a personal choice and it's also confidential and like they have the ability to, to read all of the stuff. Yeah. So people realize that to be honest, because the old, the, like right away, people are looking for therapists with insurance who take insurance because obviously yeah. like, you know, it's cheaper. Okay, fine. But yeah, not knowing the reason why I think, um, you know, that really changes things. Like, I don't know that a lot of people would want the, a third party just going through their, files. No. And oftentimes when I'm requested, you know, when the records are requested for me, they don't alert the client. I'm the one that has to tell them, mm -hmm. which, you know, puts me in, in a predicament sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to send them what they need, but I'm going to kind of rewrite stuff so that it is like the basic stuff because I don't want them seeing everything you and I discuss. It's, it's too much. And then they don't want to go back to therapy because they don't want that stuff shared. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't, I really don't think people understand that part of it. Yeah. So you're, you're under that umbrella when you take insurance and you're kind of at their mercy and sometimes they deny payments because they don't think this client didn't need to come every week. They just needed to come every other week. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Not so too much. So it's the same reason why you're not giving free therapy too, because it's <laughs> yes. right. Like it's important that people feel like it's that they can take ownership for their health and we don't yeah. think twice about paying for half the shit we pay for. So, I mean, when it comes to your health, for some yeah. reason we put, we, I'm saying as like a collective whole, put it last and don't want to put that money in. Like 
I'm not paying $120 for the gym, but like you'll pay $120 to go out to eat in one sitting. So yes, um, it's like important to keep that in perspective. It absolutely is. Yep. Yeah. So one last thing, do you have any favorite affirmations or mantras that you use or that you share with your clients? Something Mm. like a little inspiring. Well, the two truths thing, I love like that. I live by that. And something that I really try to share with my clients is no feelings are wrong. There are no bad feelings. There are no good feelings. You have to feel all of the feelings. You have to allow yourself to feel all of the feelings because if you don't, they don't go away. They just get stored somewhere else. So don't judge your feelings because when you judge your feelings, you cut off the ability to be curious about them. You know, if you experience grief, but you also feel some relief because that person isn't here anymore, no matter what the situation, and you go, oh my God, I'm such a horrible person for feeling that way. You stop the exploration immediately of your feelings. And you don't want to do that. Like feelings are there to tell us something about ourselves, to help us learn about ourselves. So do not judge anything that you feel. Be curious about it. Like try to understand it. That's good advice. I think, you know, we're so hard on ourselves, everybody, and we just have to be, have a little more self compassion in the end. It's a human experience. And we're all just like we've said 100 times today, like just trying to do our best in all aspects. So yes, just trying to do our best. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, if they're, oh, do you do, I forget, do you do virtual or? I do. Yes, absolutely. I love, I prefer in person, but of course, like in this world, like that's not always possible. So yeah. So people want to connect with you maybe work with you, where is the best place to find you? So my website is modern.wellness. Oh my gosh, now I'm going to screw this up. It's modernwellnessnj.com. Let me make sure. Because my Instagram is at modern.wellness underscore New Jersey. Um, I'll link them so, in the show notes. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I know. I have to make sure. But yeah, my website um, has uh, just an email form that you can reach out to, or you can send me a DM on Instagram, um, and it has my cell on the website as well. So any of those ways. Cool. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. I think we can definitely do a round two. There's so many more things that we can talk about. So much. Yeah. Like, we got into a yeah. little of parenting today, too, which was unexpected, but yeah. Anyway, that's what yeah. that's our lives right now. So that's where our heads are at. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad too. And you, we really should tell the listeners that you and I like used to party at Osprey back in like the the early 2000s. I yes the the genesis of our friendship um, yes. started a long time ago at some really gross New Jersey bars. <laughs> that's right. That's we, right. We've really come a long way. <laughs> Oh, look at us now. We look at us now. We haven't taken everyone with us, but we're here we are. <laughs> here we are. I'm so glad that you had me on. This was so awesome. It was so fun. I love chatting with you. You're so smart and so cute. And it was great. Oh, you too. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you all so much for listening today. You can check out the show notes to find out important info from today's episode. You can also support the show by subscribing, share an episode with somebody you love, or give me a review over on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with me, you can always find me on Instagram at Nicole. I really appreciate you all so much, and I cannot wait to share more wellness and lifestyle content with you on the next episode.